This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. Jumping Bomb Audio, a podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Aaron, and I am joined, as always, by Taylor. What's up, Taylor? Hi. How's it going? I'm I'm shocked. We're almost at the end of... Well, we are at the end of June. We're almost at the beginning of July. The year is uh, flying by. Yeah, I'm, I'm hating that so far. It's like, it feels like summer's almost over. I, I mean, I guess real summer just started as far as like June 21 or whatever, but... It's like, it's going to be winter soon. Or am I just a pessimist? Oh, God, don't say that. No, <laughs> we have to look more positively than it's going to be winter soon. <laughs> it's hopefully not going to be winter until at least November, which means we've got what, five, five months, four months. Yeah, that's uh, fair. That's fair. Until that. No, I can't look that negatively. Although, you know, I say that and I always think, oh, my God, the time is going so fast and soon I'll be so old. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. That's all I can think of is I'm like, oh my god, my life is coming to it. Like I'm fairly young, but I'm like, oh no, my life is going to be over before I know it. Yeah, that doesn't bother me as much. Um, Not really worried about my slow march to death, but it being cold outside, I don't like. (laughs) I'm glad we're on the same page there because I do have a number of friends who are very pro winter, and I find that position to be utterly insane i find it to be crazy <laughs> that I you're like too. "Ooh, i can't wait to be freezing cold yeah and, but you're in new york where it gets much colder than it does well it gets colder for longer than it does here yes that's very true it does get cold although um it doesn't snow as much as it did when i lived in cleveland ohio there it snows all, all the time seemingly in new york it snows a little bit less which is a little bit nicer because dealing with snow is uh, something I really hate. I remember being in college um, in Indiana, and the first time it snowed, there were many people who I lived in the dorms with who had never, who came from, you know, southern states or came from out of the country who were like, I've never seen snow. This is so exciting. And I was like, boy, <laughs> I was like, boy, just wait. Pretty soon you'll grow, you'll grow to hate this. Yeah, I hate it completely. I have no interest in snow, no interest. I mean, rain at least provides like a purpose, you know, like rain can be good for things. Snow is just useless. There's no point to it. Yeah, I'm I agree. I agree with you. I can deal with I can deal with rain, but snow, I'm just like, if it never snowed again for the rest of my life, I'd be like, great. See, that's what irritates me. So obviously, we're looking at an impending climate apocalypse. And 
I was, you know, when I was young and dumb, I thought that global warming, climate change meant it was going to be hot all the time. You know, it would stop being cold. I didn't realize it was just going to be like insane changes in the climate going both ways. Like we're also going to have like crazy cold times and snowstorms and shit. I'm not pretending to be like a climatologist or anything. That's just my understanding. So that irritates me that it's not just going to be at least if the world is dying, it could at least be warm outside is all I'm getting at. Yeah, it it is getting more extreme because I know that of the highest, I said it doesn't snow as much here in New York, although of the highest, I think all time, the top five um, highest single snow days in New York history, three of them have happened in the last 10 years since I've moved here. So I'm like, oh God, it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse and worse. I think a lot about uh, a day when I was in law school, where this this other guy came in who was very conservative. It had snowed outside like a lot, and he very seriously remarked, oh, "How about that global warming?" And I think about that basically every day of my life now, and uh, I'm just filled with contempt for for that human being. That's really all. That sounds like a uh, that sounds like a Facebook post that you would see. You know, right. it's, it's snow somewhere, and someone goes on, "Oh, snowing here! How about that? global warming?" Right. Which I like, say, mm-hmm. I say, just to remind people that lawyers are some of the dumbest people on the face of the planet. So, just keep that in mind always. Uh, if you want to know more about our thoughts on the climate apocalypse, you can follow us on Twitter at JBomb Audio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor is at Tay Mambo. You can subscribe to the podcast. Just type in Jumping Bomb Audio on the podcast app of your choice. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star rating and review if the Apple Podcast app is your app of choice. Uh, and if you want to donate to the show, you can do so by going to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. All right. We are going to talk about, primarily, we're going to talk about the TJPW Corquin show. I know it's a little old now, but it's the most recent one. And we'll talk a little bit about their show from, as we are recording this, last night on uh, the 26th. Uh, also, Seedling had a couple of shows. We're going to talk about those. And as always, we will dive into everything that's happened over the past two weeks and what's going on uh, the next two weeks. But we'll get it started with Tokyo Joshi Pro's Corquin from June 17th. It was called Additional Attack. Taylor, your your overall thoughts on the Additional Attack show. I think my overall thoughts are that I enjoyed the show. I thought it was another good Tokyo Joshi Korokin Hall show. But I think probably by the end of the year, if if we look back or when we look back on these uh, Tokyo Joshi Korokins, I think it might be the one that would get lost in the mix most. And I think this is sort of the way that we felt about it um, going in when we previewed it last episode, is that it didn't feel like a major show for them, even though it is a Corican, which sort of automatically makes it a major show, but didn't feel like one of the bigger shows. Still good, but not really at that top level that they've hit with some of their other shows. I think that's fair. Uh, this is a classic AB criticism coming up, but I feel like the matches on in general are getting longer on these shows. Uh, you know, only one of them under 10 minutes on this show, which I don't think is is common for 
their Korg ones, or it didn't used to be. Uh, but as we talked about on the preview, because there was no Princess of Princess title match, there were just kind of lower stakes for the card. Like, you know, we can assume perhaps that that tag match with uh, Mizuki and Yuka versus Hyper Masao and uh, Rika could be like, you know, your next challenger for the tag titles, but that wasn't explicitly said. So there's no real stakes until you get to that International Princess title match, you know, the final two matches. So we've talked a lot about them kind of lengthening their cards uh, because of the great job they've done developing folks. Uh, But this felt like a shorter card in as far as like the high stakes matches. But to me at times, because some of these other matches had lower stakes, they felt a little long. The show kicked off with uh, the Bakaretsu sisters, Pom Harajuku, and Raku defeating Arisu Endo, Haruneneko, Moka Miyamoto, and Suzume, and I believe Raku pinned Endo, uh, which I don't know if this is exactly true, but setting her up, at least getting her some uh, momentum going into her upcoming International Princess title match. Uh, yeah, this is, I mean, this is usually what we say about these opening matches, but it was a very sort of typical uh, Tokyo Joshi uh, opening match. Always good. You know, this was sort of a, um, the whole show, sort of a, a minor theme of the show was featuring these uh, new Tokyo Joshi rookies. So it was good to see Endo in this match, uh, who continues to uh, get better. Uh, but other than that, not not a ton of... Uh, not a ton of thoughts uh, from me about this match. No, my favorite thing was early on. Um, was it Nako? I can't remember who exactly was getting themselves into trouble, but uh, I think it was Nako. But Chris Brooks was complaining about it on commentary and, you know, uh, giving the referee a hard time and pointed out that uh, Balianaki says, if it's cute, it's legal. And I just think that should be a rule. Yes, I do. I do remember that. And I do have to say, speaking of the English commentary, I thought it was uh, very good. Again, I I also think Chris Brooks, um, I know that we at, we talked about the English commentary on the Cyber Fight Festival um, last time out. And I do think Chris Brooks really brings a good aspect to the English commentary. I think he has a really great knowledge of um the the whole promotion. So I think he makes it a lot easier for all of them to sort of, you know, get into it, not have to worry about, okay, I have to know everything because, you know, between the three of them, I think they do a great job of sort of covering everything they need to cover. So I thought it was another, uh, a very good outing for the English commentary. And I hope that, you know, these good showings will get them uh, some more time in the English commentary booth. Next up, we had Shoko Nakajima defeating Kaya Toribami, and this was Toribami's singles debut. Yeah, and another uh, good outing by Toribami, you know, uh, an outcome that was not um, in question, really, but I think was once again very impressive and sort of in a way, um, you know, impressive than a, in a different way than I think you know, Yuki Arai has been, or Arisa Endo has been with a more sort of high-flying um, 
you know, fast paced offense, which I think is really cool. It gives her, it really makes her stand out in terms of not only the rookies, but within the promotion as a whole. So I am really, uh, she is definitely, you know, it's very tough because I think all three of these rookies are good and you could make, you know, different arguments at different points for who is really the one to watch of these three. Um, but I am definitely keeping my eye on uh, Torabami. Oh, yeah, I was super impressed. I mean, you never know until you a singles match, you know, you get a, a much better sense of the full package of what someone has at that moment in time in a singles match. And, you know, my biggest thing watching Toribami in this match was she didn't seem out of place at all, even in there with, with Nakajima, who is uh, very experienced, quite good. So I, I was impressed, and you're exactly right. You know, when we went into two matches later with the Yuki Arai match, I was like, man, what a batch of rookies they have right now. So definitely impressed with Toribami. Then we had uh, now Kakuta and Yuki Kamafuku defeating Mahiro Kiru and Miyu Watanabe. Uh, Kamiyu got the pinfall on Mahiro Kiru. Yeah, my biggest question of this is, Aaron, and Aaron, I don't know if you have an opinion on this, but really, where is, you know, sort of what is the plan for Mahiro Kiryu? Because to me, sort of, uh, I have placed her at the you know, sort of a level up from the, what we consider, what we would consider sort of the opening wrestlers, you know, uh, Palm Harajuku and Haruna Neko, sort of at a higher level than them, but she doesn't seem to really, um, you know, get all that much focus pinned in this match. Um, and I'm just curious as to, as they sort of start pushing uh, these different people, I don't know. Maybe they just don't see um, a higher level for her, or maybe they just don't see it for her currently. But I find that very interesting because I think that she would be someone who could probably do well with a little bit uh, of a push. So that that was really the thing that stuck out to me in this match. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, she's 27. Uh, you look through her cage match, and she hasn't gotten a lot of of wins at all, really. Uh, you know, certainly not singles wins or anything like that. So she does feel like she's above, uh, though, you know, the kind of the opening match wrestlers. And I certainly think she's better than a lot of those opening wrestlers. But how would you compare, for example, to uh, Mirai Mayumi? Well, I think she's definitely sort of below Mayumi's level, but I consider Mayumi sort of at the top of the. I guess what you would call the mid sort of the level with uh, people like uh, Yuki Kamafuku or Suzume or, you know, Akari Noah, sort of at that second tier, not at the top tier, but I would consider her sort of at the top of that just because I think she has so much um, potential. You know, I think Kiryu is definitely probably, in my mind, on the lower end of that middle. Uh, grouping of people, but it's it's just very interesting just because, as you said, she doesn't win that often. She seems to lose um, quite a lot, and I would just think that maybe, you know, she seems like someone who could challenge for the, you know, princess title and probably have a good match. So it's just interesting to me. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not sort of digging them for not doing it, but 
just interesting, especially as we see so many people, you know, you just talked about Raku, uh, who we'll talk more about, um, you know, down the line. And we saw Marika Kobashi get a, a title opportunity on this show. So just a lot of people sort of being moved. And it seems like at this point, she is not moving. The one thing I will say is, you know, and this is no, this does Mahio Kiru no, no good, but it's nice for Tokyo Joshi Pro as a promotion to be in a spot where it's like, oh, wait, you have somebody who's good, who's not getting a push, you know, like there was certainly a long time where everybody who was good was getting a push. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, it's, they have an abundance of talent right now. Yeah, it's a better problem to have to say we have too many people who are good than the problem of we don't have an... I would much rather watch a promotion that has too much talent than a promotion that doesn't have any talent because then you're already behind the eight ball and having good matches. And then, you know, you may watch a show and just go, oh, you know, this is not worth watching. Indeed. And we were just speaking about Mirai Mayumi and she was in the next match defeating yuki arai uh with a submission it's that i don't know double wrist lock she uses not sure what she calls it though i'm sorry <sighs> um, <laughs> i think I chris really brooks even it. said the name of it and i and i forgot it well yeah i mean i'll i'll never blame you because you know the names of moves people say them even and they like go in my brain and then for some reason they don't stay there <laughs> Um, but I thought this match was very good. You know, Yuki Arai, when she debuted at that, um, the previous Corican, you know, I sort of watched the match and I was interested, I was sort of intrigued by this feud she had going on with Maki Ito, but I, I, I didn't leave that match going, whoa, she's got, you know, she's got a great in-ring style or, you know, she works really well in ring. I was more sort of intrigued by the, um, sort of peripheral aspects to her. You know, the fact that she's in SKE 48, she was feuding with Maki Ito. But I thought at both Cyber Fight Festival and in this match, she looked really great. Um, you know, this is what you sort of want from a rookie is that, you know, you debut and then as you have more matches, you get better. And that's what I think she's already doing, which is great. And I think that this match, um, was very good. Um, you know, Mayumi, of course, is great. She looked great as well. Really made uh, Yuki Arai look great. So overall, um, a match that I really enjoyed and really sort of met my expectations. I said, ooh, this could be pretty fun. And at the end of the day, I thought it was pretty fun. I have uh, I've done some research. The move is called the Mira Made. So there you go. Um, yeah, so I think maybe I had a similar reaction to you in that I had been impressed with Arai in the past of like, okay, she might have something, but I thought she was really good here. Uh, those The big boots were great. Uh, she has great facial expressions, obviously great charisma, shows great fight, you know, even this early on in her career. It's like, okay, she might really have something. Uh, it's certainly worth keeping an eye on her and you know we haven't until arisu endo you know it was it was 
not that common for the Tokyo Joshi Pro rookies to be on this level. So it's she's certainly somebody who's like, okay, she's already up on a pretty decent level and you know, shouldn't be pushed already, but is someone who should be in line as as a person to consider for someone who can be up higher on the card, you know, before very long. Yeah, I think she's going to get sort of these, I mean, these type of spots where she's in a match and she can look good, but ultimately, you know, is going to lose and the outcome was not really in doubt. And I think that it's okay for her to be in that spot for a little bit as she learns and she, you know, gets better. And as they sort of, you know, work through some of these other pushes, you know, she, I'm sure at some point, um, especially if she consider continues to improve um you know i think she'll be in line to certainly move up the card but again another we talk about a good problem to have which is that now they have a lot of talent and they've just debuted three very talented rookies where you don't have to say okay she's good we got to get her up to the top of the card immediately you can sort of let her do her thing lower on the card, improve, you know, get better. And then when the time is right, you know, move her up the card and maybe, you know, into a title shot or maybe, you know, a continuation of this uh, feud with Ito. Maybe that culminates in a big singles match or something like that. So there's lots of roads that you can go down here with, I think, all three of these rookies. Yeah, the only problem with Arai, I think, is that she is also, you know, focused on her idol career. So I don't know, you know, how much focus she's putting on getting better at wrestling. You know, she may, she certainly could be someone who kind of gets to a level and kind of sticks there uh, because, you know, I don't know how much she'll be putting into it, but maybe she will be focusing on her wrestling a lot. I have no idea, but we'll see how she progresses from here. Yeah. And that could also end up being sort of beneficial where it sort of tells you, even if they were saying, okay, we got to get her up the card fast, you know, that's sort of like, well, you know, she might only wrestle select dates, so you can't rush it because, you know, if she's only going to be, you know, at every third show or something, you know, I don't know what her schedule allows. Currently, she was on the show last night as well. But I think that will also sort of allow them to not feel the pressure to, okay, we got to go, go, go with this person because, you know, and who knows, maybe in a year she says, uh, you know, I'm leaving SKE 48 and I'm devoting all my time to Tokyo Joshi. That could certainly happen. Um, but, But we'll have to see. But I think that will sort of allow you know, some breathing room with her to just say, okay, we're going to take it at our own pace and whatever, um, you know, that pace is to fit with her schedule and also not over, you know, not, not put her in situations where she's going to be asked to deliver something that she is not, maybe not quite ready to deliver. Then we had the uh, tag match we talked about earlier with the Magical Sugar Rabbits team of Mizuki and Yuka Sakazaki defeating Hyper Masao and the Katatsumi. Uh, Yuka pinned Masao with the Magical Girl Splash, a move I actually know. 
Yeah, I thought this match was fine. You know, sometimes I think with especially the Magical Sugar Rabbits, who are my um, favorite tag team in Tokyo Joshi, you know, sometimes you look at it and you go, whoa, this match is going to be, you know, really good, but it's third from the top. Um, and so, you know, doesn't quite deliver in the way that you think, oh, this could be really, really good. But still, you know, a, a very enjoyable match, of course, with Masao in there. You're always going to get a little bit of uh, comedy. So overall, um, you know, pretty neutral, but I thought it was a good match. Yeah, I basically agree uh, with everything you're saying. This is just kind of where it started to hit me in the card because, you know, we're third from the top of the lower stakes on the card, you know, that we weren't really... You know, you want a card to build, you know, an importance of matches. And this certainly is a more important match than some of the others, uh, certainly with all the the talent involved. But by this time, I'm like wanting something I can sink my teeth into a little more. I didn't really get that as much here. Uh, But then we did get into the title matches. First up was the International Princess title match. Uh, Hikari Noah defended her title. She defeated uh, Marika Kobashi with don't remember submission i think can't remember now god i'm really outing myself here as a dumbass <laughs> sorry everybody I, I try to keep better notes than this um but anyway well i'll cover for you here here we go <laughs> um you know i'm gonna say something and the sort of the way i phrase it or the way it's in my head it's going to sound like a it's going to sound like an insult of the match, but it's actually a compliment. So I'll, I'll explain the whole thing, which is that I thought that the match was not overly ambitious. Um, it felt very much like a match where they sort of figured out, okay, here are the things that we can do and let's go out there. And instead of, you know, trying things or going, you know, going real wild, We're just going to go out there and we're going to do the things that we can do and we're going to do them well in. And it was a thing that I ended up really enjoying this match because it felt like just, you know, two younger, um, less experienced wrestlers on the card sort of going out there and delivering sort of a, a great version of what they're currently capable of. Um, but it was one of those matches that I really liked it. But if, you know, and I don't, Aaron, I don't know your thoughts because we didn't talk about this um, before the show. But Aaron, if you were like, it was fine, you know, three stars, I would totally be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense uh, to me. But just to me, something about it, I just thought it it worked really well. I thought uh, Marika Kobashi looked really good. Um, in the match, as did Hikari Noah. So it really just uh, connected with me. Huh, yeah, I'm definitely on the lower side of the match. I thought there was a lot of um, a lot of like spot-to-spot issues that seemed to lack smoothness. A lot of stuff that seemed like, okay, we're, we did that spot, now we're going to do this spot. You know, it seemed very like calculated uh, as opposed to what you really want in a match where everything's Everything seems like it's um, not calculated. <laughs> That's the opposite of calculated. <laughs> uh, so I, I had a problem with that. And I was just, as I was thinking about it, and this is my own thing of like the Kamiyu reign, I thought was cut short for my 
you know, for the way I would have done it. And I thought this was below any of the Kamiyu matches, really. So eh, I just I wasn't excited about it. Fair enough. Yeah. And, and next up, uh, Ikari Noah will have Raku. I guess I would just like to see what's, you know, they're talking on commentary about how both these people really like death matches. And it's like, well, let's just do a death match. <laughs> that sounds more fun to me. <laughs> After we saw Hikari Noah and uh, Rina Yamashita. So I just think they should run this match back, but have it be a death match. Aaron's a big death match guy. I've become a death match guy. I don't know what's happened to me, <laughs> but I am. And then we had the princess tag team titles with the Neo Shikigun team of Meisan Michelle and Saki Sama uh, retaining their titles and defeating Maki Ito and Miyu Yamashita. Uh, Saki. Submitted Miyu. Yes, although Cage Match referred to it as referee's decision, and I don't remember if Miyu tapped or if it was like a... Did she pass out? I thought she tapped. That was my recollection, but... That was also mine as well, but... Um, I guess not. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought that the sort of first the sort of front half of this match was sort of a little bit slow for me. Like I was watching and I was like, this is fine. Like this is fine. It's not a bad match, but I'm sort of not all that. Um, you know, it's not drawing me in all that much. I felt just sort of fine about it. And then I thought near the end, um, and especially the finishing sequence, they really kicked it into gear and I ended up really, uh, digging the match. I mean, I loved the finish. I thought the finish was, I thought the finish was awesome, you know, regardless if it was a tap or if the, you know, referee decided it, you know, I thought it looked really uh, cool in a way that, you know, Tokyo Joshi is not a, is not really a promotion where you see a lot of people where it's like, oh, in the main event, so-and-so got, you know, or in any matches, oh, so-and-so got choked out and you know passed out in this submission move you know it's not really that sort of um promotion that's not the style and that's not a you know ding against them but i just thought that this was i was like whoa that was really cool um to see and i thought and we'll talk about this um more in a in a second when we talk about the show from last night but i think saki sama's strength is definitely in her offense as opposed to her defense or her selling, which I think she sort of is lacking in a bit. But I think her offense looks really good, and especially against someone like Miyu, um, the two of them can really go um, all out and really mesh styles very well. So I thought by the end, I sort of came around on it and ended up really liking it. Um, so it was sort of a, a match of two halves for me. Well, I think we need to talk about Saki Samba's, uh, semi-viral moment this week. Uh, I don't know if, did you catch that, Taylor? Uh, I don't know that I did. So there was a, a post, I'm not sure this person had found it on Facebook or something. That was a picture of Saki Sama, uh, and I forget who she was doing a move to, but it was like a running knee or like a... She was hitting somebody with the knee, but she had like, you know, the Sakisama face on, not like she was using a lot of physical energy, but she just looked like, you know, beautiful. 
and the person was laughing about this and compared it to, I'm not sure if you were a, actually, I feel confident you watched How I Met Your Mother, right? Because I think I did a How I Met Your Mother joke once and you picked up on it. Uh, I did not watch How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> Damn, was that I not, not you? Seen, well, weirdly enough, this is a very weird thing I'm about to say, but all right, um, I have never watched a, I've never seen any episode of How I Met Your Mother. However, I have watched the failed pilot uh, for How I Met Your Dad, which was uh, a pilot they filmed after How I Met Your Mother ended, which was going to star Greta Gerwig. Um, as this woman who's telling her kids how uh, she met the dad. So that is the only, uh, I guess, content in the How I Met universe that I have ever seen. <laughs> That's uh, very bizarre. <laughs> but I think of you as a TV guy, so I'm a little surprised that you haven't seen How I Met Your Mother. Also, I am it, a, has a, I, it has a Cleveland tie, you know? Yes, I am a TV guy, although I have I don't really enjoy uh sitcoms with laugh tracks um i've never i've watched a few you know and some that i've really enjoyed but that was for many years i was like oh it has a laugh track i'm not interested because i don't want to be told when to (laughs) when to laugh um sure yeah we hate uh fascism of course yes um well so yes i have i have never seen it although i can probably see why you would think i had seen it so there, uh, the character played by Neil Patrick Harris, there's like a bit on one of the episodes that he never takes a bad photo. So they're trying to like trick him into taking a bad photo. But every time the photo comes out, uh, he looks, you know, he has like a perfect pose and perfect look on his face or whatever. So this person was comparing that to Saki-sama in this photo. And it got a lot of traction on Twitter. And it led to uh, our friend, friend of the show, Hakusan um posting you know a thread about Sakisama uh, definitely posting some matches in the replies to the viral post and you know just trying to get some more focus on TJPW and Sakisama but yeah it was a, it was a big moment i'm sad you missed it i i am sad i missed it as well cuz that sounds uh like a very delightful time as opposed to a, a lot of other times on twitter yes this was a a great time to be online so uh, I'm sorry you missed it. I also enjoyed the match uh, because I thought the well, I, I loved like the Miyusaki kick battle. Basically, the way they paired off with Miyu and Saki, and then with Ito and and May, I thought all that played really well. Honestly, I was surprised of your your view of the halves of the match because I kind of thought the match lost the momentum down the stretch. Uh, but overall, uh, I thought it was quite good, and I. You know, frankly, and we talked about this in our preview, I was all the way up until the end, like wondering whether uh, Miyu, you know, was going to be a a double champion. I thought they did a good job of teasing that out uh, and it went well. And of course, this built to the the match that would be uh, last night on the 26th for the uh, Princess of Princess title between Sakisama and Miyu Yamashita, which we'll talk about uh, in just a little bit. But now we'll get into uh, Seedling. Had a couple of shows since we last recorded on the 16th and the 17th. Both of these, since I always get this wrong, both of these actually were at Shinkiba First Ring. They went two nights in a row at Shinkiba. Uh, your 
Well, we're going to, I think, kind of talk about these together, right, Taylor? So if you want to give your thoughts on the shows generally. Yeah, I think we'll sort of talk about these together. And I think sort of the highlights are the main, the two main events and then the um, tag title match, was, which was the semi-main on the uh, second night. So um, my thoughts were the first night, you know, they did this Captain Falls uh, 10-person tag match, um, which I thought was a lot of fun. I didn't, um, I didn't necessarily think it was a really strong match necessarily, um, but I found myself really enjoying watching it, um, which is sort of a strange thing to say where you're like, oh, I didn't think the match was strong, but I had fun. But, you know, I would certainly take more matches like this, you know, throughout all cards where you just sort of watch and you're like, hey, you know, I'm having a great time. I'm enjoying what I'm seeing. You know, I sort of like the wacky, um, you know, Captain's Fall stipulation. Um, so overall, I thought it was, um, you know, as I said, a fun match, maybe not one that I would be running around saying, oh, make sure you, you know, check this out. But one that I really enjoyed watching. Uh, the the Beyond the Sea tag title match, um, I thought was mostly, I thought it was mostly fine. Uh, didn't feel all that strongly um, about it, especially, you know, I sort of had high expectations, didn't quite get there. But um, I really did enjoy the number one contender match uh, between Mizunami and Takahashi, uh, which so sort of surprised me a little because I watched this show a few days after it aired. I hadn't really heard anything um, about the match. You know, there wasn't really anyone that I saw saying, oh, you got to watch this match. I knew who was going to win. Um, it was pretty obvious uh, going in and then I had been spoiled. But I found myself really uh, that I ended up really enjoying this match. I thought it was really good. I thought it was hard hitting. And uh, pretty exciting. So it really took me by surprise. I really, uh, really enjoy this match. I would recommend it uh, to seek out and watch. But Aaron, what did you think of the uh, of these two shows? Well, before I get into that, Nanai Takahashi always makes me think of shaving because she had to shave her head after a match. And I just wanted to let everyone know that support for Jumping Bomb Audio is brought to you by Manscaped. In the hobby... It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing, you know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. 
You get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOW net. Arenaclub.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming? A little bit of a different uh, shaving than, uh, than Nanai was doing. But Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and they obsess over technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Over 2 million men worldwide use Manscaped, and we have an exclusive offer just for our listeners, 20% off plus free shipping with the code at manscaped.com. That's J-U-M-P. I know they sent both of us the Perfect Package 3.0 kit. Uh, so you get the lawnmower 3.0. If you're looking for like a little gift for yourself or others, you know, this, the perfect package kit uh, is a good one to go with. We had the lawnmower 3.0. It's got the LED light on it. So you can see it's got the cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce accidents. And you also get other things that could be helpful to you. Uh, the crop preserver, which is a deodorant and moisturizer, helps with uh, chafing and, you know, keeps you smelling good. In that part of the world, uh, they also have the Crop Reviver that kind of, you know, you had a long day and uh, you still need your your junk to smell good. You can use the Crop crop Preserver or the Crop Reviver. Don't get them mixed up like me. Uh, and they also have boxer briefs, T-shirts that are great uh, that you can use. I'm wearing my Manscaped T-shirt right now. I think I was also last time we did this ad for you. <laughs> Maybe I just like to wear this T-shirt on Saturdays. Uh, but hey, trim that junk of yours. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code JUMP. That's J-U-M-P at manscaped.com. Uh, your balls will thank you. So, Aaron, Aaron, I have to say that that uh, segue was very smooth. Um, just like your balls? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> just like uh, the listeners could be very smooth if they go to <laughs> manscaped.com and use our code. That's great. I like that. And now play that sound. Uh, <laughs> no, I will not do it again. I will. <laughs> I refuse. Okay, so what did I think about the show? So it's interesting what you say about this Captain's Fall uh, 10-person tag match because I just really adored the the way it was all set up. I mean, it was like it was kind of it was like a war games match. 
in the way it played out, you know, because it's like one team always has, well, not always has an advantage, but, you know, after the first two, one team has an advantage, right? So it did have that War Games feel. Uh, It was funny because, you know, you get that little advantage and then they would like double team for a second and then and then tag out. But, you know, you're always getting somebody fresh in. So I thought that was fun. And there were lots of good little parts. I mean, I hear what you're saying. As everyone knows, a 35 minute match is really not for me. Uh, But there was a lot to enjoy and I enjoyed the the setup. So uh, that was nice. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts. Taylor about Hota pinning Asuka. Where do you think that takes us? Well, I think it's just, you know, I mean, I think partially here that it was a setup for the, you know, the following night where they had a, uh, you know, tag title match. But I think it just sort of continues this story of these sort of two sides uh, going to battle. And, you know, it's a back and forth. And, you know, the following night, you know, Asuka uh, emerge victorious, uh, pinning Hoda. So it was sort of payback for that. But I, I, I saw it mostly as sort of a setup of, you know, oh, they could win, especially considering earlier on in the show that uh, Yamashita, who was the other half of the uh, team challenging for those titles, had gone to a time limit draw. So I think it was a good way to, you know, get at least one of the competitors, um, you know, a win before the the big match. And then in, in the number one contendership match, um, I also liked it a lot and hadn't heard even from you. I hadn't heard anything about it, uh, going into watching it. And I don't know. I honestly, I've never considered myself a big Mizunami fan. And when it was like the whole big thing with her going through the, the AW women's tournament, I was kind of like meh about it. And then she had a couple of excellent matches in that tournament. She had a couple of excellent matches over in AEW. And then since she's been back in Japan, it's like, I feel like I've turned around on her and I can't imagine that she's changed her style much. This has to be me and not her, right? Um, It could be, although I do sort of see where you're coming from because I see Mizunami as, and this could partially be because of you know, she's been freelance and just sort of the way she's booked in Japan. But I always sort of see her as a nice uh, title challenger, but not someone who, you know, could win a title, but is probably if they do win a title is not going to hold it for very long. But sort of a sort of a strong upper mid Carter who you can have sort of hang out in the mid card or upper mid card and then you can quickly heat them up. They get a title match and they don't win and then they go down again, but is sort of a um, sort of like a bigger deal tighter, title challenger than, you know, someone maybe who's been floating around the mid card and, you know, has equal wins and losses and things like that. So I do sort of see um, sort of your perspective and where you're coming from. But like I said, I thought that this match. Uh, was very good. So certainly I don't say that um, to, you know, talk down her in-ring skill. I do think she's very skilled in ring. It just is that, you know, I don't know that she really gets these sort of direct one-on-one opportunities and we'll have to see because she did win the match. So she'll be taking on Asuka uh, for the Beyond the Sea title. 
where she could also have a good match. So I think it's just largely a, you know, part of sort of booking and where she's been positioned, having been freelance uh, for so long and not officially part of the seedling um, roster that I think maybe gives off that perspective of someone who, you know, isn't a huge deal. Yeah, that makes sense. But we'll see. Um, I'm now I'm my interest is peaked for this match with Asuka. So we'll see how that goes. Asuka uh, always delivers. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. All right, well, let's get into the spark notes section, Taylor, and some of the stuff that's been happening over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, so I briefly mentioned this last episode because uh, it had aired between the time that we um, recorded and the time the episode re- was released. But I did want to give a shout out to the uh, Gaiaism show that aired on the 13th. Um, I watched it. I thought it was an excellent, super fun show and uh, with a really incredible uh, main event. You know, all this talk the last two weeks has uh, been on the Utami Shuri match, which of course it should be. It was a great match. Uh, but the sort of the match of that weekend for me was this Gaiaism main event. If you ever want to sort of know what my ideal sort of style match is, sort of the exact type of match that gets me really excited, really hyped, it is that match, uh, the main event, fast-paced, uh, hard-hitting, big stakes, all coming together to really make a great match. It is my. Uh, match of the year, I went five stars very easily. Uh, so it is head and shoulders above really most other things I have watched from 2021. Uh, but I would give a recommendation to the whole show. I think the show really had a an aspect of coolness to it that sometimes when you go back and you watch shows from the 90s, and I'm, you know, even more than, you know, not just talking about Joshi shows, but a lot of those, you know, UWF shows or even like Pride, which isn't, you know, wrestling, but, you know, they have this sort of feeling of, oh, this is very cool. This is a big deal. You know, the Gaia show had, you know, music and video packages and they had entrance videos and lighting and it just all felt very cool and it felt like a big deal. I mean, almost every match felt like a really big deal. Um, And there were a number of of very strong matches on the undercard as well. So something I would definitely recommend uh, going out of your way uh, to check out the Gaiaism show from the 13th. Uh, Stardom had a few uh, more shows. Uh, The big events from those, the Cosmic Angels defeated Oedo Tai for their sixth defense of the artist titles, uh, Kaguma and Mayu Iwatani challenged Julia and Shuri for the tag titles. And the saga with Starlight Kid, who supposedly is still, at this time, going by Starlight Kid, uh, continues with Oedo Tai. She was given a black mask by uh, Natsuko Tora, so we will have to wait and see what happens there. Well, that that just reminded uh, me that we had a listener give us a few ideas for what did. Starlight Kid's new name should be. And um, I'm interested to see if that is coming down the line or if they're just going to sort of keep it as Starlight Kid. But 
you know, maybe they do just keep it a starlight kid. Uh, listener Al Cryptid at Terminal Sigma on Twitter suggests Black Hole Kid, Dark Matter Kid, or my personal favorite, Event Horizon Kid. <laughs> have you ever seen Event Horizon, Taylor, the movie? I have never seen Event Horizon. No, I have. I no, have I'm not. Just, I'm just going to keep mentioning things uh, that I think you may have seen and you will tell me you haven't seen them. I think that'll be good audio. Yeah, this although this is a rare thing because usually with us, it's that I have seen or heard something that you have not <laughs> seen or heard. Um, True. Especially with you were listening. Now, did you take a pause on the Rolling Stone uh, top 500 albums? I did. I made it to 250 and I decided to take a break for a little while. And then I turned on 251. And I was like, I just can't do this right now. I need a longer break than this. So I've I've stepped away from the list for now. Now, what was 251? Do you it was not that the album was bad. It was uh, Elton John's uh, Honky Chateau. Okay. So a good album. So it wasn't, it was just like, I think I burned myself out by just like constantly listening to new albums um, that I hadn't heard before. By new, I mean new to me. So although I say that, but then what I've done is I've started listening to a top hip hop albums of all time list. <laughs> and a lot of those are new to me also. So I just needed, maybe I just needed a genre break. Yes. But I know a lot of those you were listening to and you're like, Oh, I've never heard this before. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's a great, uh, great album or a great artist or whatever. So, Oh yeah. There was, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not shy about the fact that there's just a lot of stuff I haven't listened to. So I'm, I'm listening to it now. Are you familiar with, uh, you like hip hop, right? Taylor? Yeah. Okay. Maybe not. The the game? Are you familiar with the game? Sort of very vaguely. Okay. Well, never mind. I won't I won't go into this with you. <laughs> I was just listening to one of the games albums on this hip hop list the other day and had some takes on it, but I have nobody really to give them to, so I'll just keep them to myself. How long is this hip hop list? How many albums? Two fifty. Oh, okay. So if you've replaced the 250 from the Rolling Stones list with 250 other albums. Yeah, that's exactly what's happened. Great. I'm an insane person, basically, uh, what I'm saying. I don't know. I just I learned kind of listening to the Rolling Stone list that um, hip hop is probably my favorite genre. It's like probably my favorite type of music. So I was like, eh, maybe I should just listen to some to a hip hop list. So now that's what I'm doing. And the Rolling Stones list will always exist for you if you ever want to go back. Oh, I will go back to it. I have no doubt. Okay. <laughs> I will finish the list. I hate, I mean, I start a lot of things and don't finish them, but it bothers me. So I'll try to finish it. Uh, great. Well, that was our musical uh, <laughs> detour for the episode. Uh, but anyway, um, Oz Academy. Uh, speaking of music, Oz Academy. Um, they had a show on the 13th. This is another one. It, it hadn't aired uh, last time, but the big event from that, Kaori Yoniyama winning the Oz title from Sonoko Kado. So a very interesting uh, development there as Kaori Yoniyama continues to um, pick up title wins. You know, she won the Pure J title. Uh, she has lost that title since then, but here winning the Oz title. So we'll see what happens in Oz moving forward. As we mentioned a few minutes ago, 
Uh, Tokyo Joshi had a show on the 26th, uh, Stand Proud, that was highlighted by a Miyamashita title defense against Saki Sama. Uh, but some big things happening in the undercard as well. Uh, Moko Miyamoto gets her first win pinning Yuki Arai, and then uh, Raku pinned Hikari Noah and challenged her for her international princess title. Um, which is a match that will be coming up soon, as we'll talk about in the upcoming shows. And then in the main event, Miyu Yamashita defeating Saki-sama to retain her Princess of Princess title. Aaron, what did you think of this uh, main event? I thought it was good. I thought Saki-sama showed off a little more of like a brutal side of her offense. Some of those slaps I thought were hitting pretty hard. Uh, you know, there wasn't like a moment where I really thought Saki-sama was going to win and beat Yamashita. That would be pretty wild. Uh, but overall, I really enjoyed it. So it's funny, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I felt very similar to the way that I felt about the tag title match and that I thought that this uh, started a little bit slowly. I was sort of thinking it was fine and then really near the end uh, kicked into gear especially the last few moments with Saki-sama delivering those uh, sort of palm strike slaps, um, going into the choke, uh, Miyamashita trying to powerbomb out and it not working, and then them doing the double kick. So I thought that the end of the match was really strong. I also really liked, or maybe really liked is the wrong word, but I really appreciated that Saki-sama obviously is sort of the heel of Tokyo Joshi. I would say by far, I mean sort of May Saint Michel, who's in the same group with her, but she's sort of the legendary uh, heel of Tokyo Joshi. And yet in this title match, there was no interference. There was a moment when uh, May was, was talking to, to Saki-sama, but no interference in this match, which I really appreciated. And I would like some other companies in the world to uh, watch this match with, you know, sort of a valiant baby face against a big time heel. That was a good match, um, an enjoyable match that, even though it had a heel in it, had no interference, which I really appreciated and I wish would happen more. That's true and not just of Joshi Company, so I could not agree more. Yes, I, I, I didn't mean. I did mean the larger wrestling world. All companies uh, could take a look at this and say, "Hmm, maybe we uh, could do with less interference in our matches." Cough, cough. Um, but yeah, so so a very um, you know a very enjoyable show. I think it ran exactly. Two hours. It started at 11 p.m. Eastern last night and was over at 1 a.m. So a very quick show. Nothing really overstaying. It's welcome. Uh, got to see Yuki Arai again, which was uh, fun and glad that her schedule allowed that. Um, Sendai Girls is having a their big show in Niigata. Uh, that is happening tomorrow as we record. Uh, we briefly mentioned that show last time. Uh, but recently added was a tag title match to Hiro Hashimoto and you, the champions against the marvelous team 
of Mio Momono and Rin Katakura. So this Sendai Girls marvelous feud that was building towards the Gaiaism show is continuing and it will be interesting to see um, where that goes because I know that both Sendai Girls and Marvelous uh, have a number of Korokin shows booked for the sort of second half of the year. So it will be interesting to see uh, there if they, you know, both use each other's wrestlers to sort of build up these cards and what will happen um, with those. Uh, Ice Ribbon had a number of shows. Uh, Sakushi retained her IWGQ title over Matsuya Uno. Uh, not a big surprise there as Uno is retiring. The uh, Ice Ribbon had their annual tax pro wrestling show where they educate their fans about how to do their taxes. Uh, they are celebrating their 15th anniversary uh, this year. So I had a 15th anniversary celebration show. Um, and then another show happening in between when we record and when this will be released, uh, their Corican show, which will feature uh, the Uno Matsuyo retirement match, uh, Suzu Suzuki in her final uh, death match trial series match. And then a main event of Risa Sarah against Rina Yamashita in a light tube death match. So Aaron, uh, someone who's becoming a big death match guy, this looks like a, a show for you. Uh, you're damn right. It looks like a show for me. And unlike, you know, the, I don't want to complain too much about the one that was on TJPW, but we're going to get blood on, on these matches, baby. And that's what I'm here for. Aaron loves blood. You heard it. I do. First. If you're going to do a death match, I, I want danger. I want blood, baby. <laughs> Whoa. I'm just uh, saying, res what I like in wrestling, you talked earlier about like your favorite style of match. I also like fast paced, hard hitting matches. But my favorite like moment in a wrestling match is when it like it feels so dangerous that it takes you out of the match that you're like, holy fuck, it's like that person's hurt. Not in like, that sounds bad. I don't mean it in like a, oh my God, they're like injured, you know, like, oh God, I think they broke their leg. I just mean like, this is also problematic, but one of my favorite wrestlers ever is Loki, right? And Loki kicks somebody and you're like, oh, did he like really kick that person? You know, I think I'm walking myself into a bigger hole here. Um, I like death matches. I'm, I'm going to stick with that. I'm just going to shut up now. Yeah, I was just going to sit around and let you continue digging down further, further, further. <laughs> you were not getting any help from me there. Yeah. Uh, oh. But anyway, uh, Aaron, no, I won't say that. Uh, anyway, I, I uh, saw in the sheet and I was waiting for you to do that. <laughs> I don't appreciate it. Anyway, uh, Diana had a dojo show. Unfortunately, very sadly, uh, Tehanma, uh, I believe, tore her ACL on that show. Um, and they announced that she will be out for an indefinite amount of time, which is quite a bummer, um, really, for a number of Joshi promotions that use Tehanma. Uh, very talented. She was, I believe, scheduled to get a Diana title match uh, at their upcoming show, which is not happening anymore. So, of course, we uh, wish her a speedy recovery because she is uh, pretty great wherever she goes in the Joshi scene. And I know that a lot of people are hoping she will be back as soon as she can. Um, another 
uh, person is out is in Marvelous. Maria is out. Um, they described it as a growing back pain. Not sure if it's uh, just precautionary or if it's going to be something major. But in good news, uh, we can give some good news that uh, Takumi Aroha, it has been announced she will be returning to the ring at Marvelous's fifth anniversary show, uh, which is at Corican Hall in mid-July, July 19th, I believe. So I know a lot of people are going to be excited to have her back in action, one of the best in all of Joshi. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that and looking forward to a big, uh, marvelous Cork and Hall show, which should be very good. Uh, Wave had two more Catch the Wave shows sort of right in the middle of the tournament. Uh, Chaco Pro announced their Oak Tag League, one-of-a-kind tag league, uh, featuring eight teams in two blocks. One-of-a-kind? One-of-a-kind. Uh, <laughs> tag league. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, featuring uh, two blocks of four teams each. The A block, uh, the Best Bros, Tropica Wild, the Dragon Ninja team of Sayuri and Shonchiryu, and Ryo Mizunami and Waka Tsukiyama from Actress Girls. The B block, uh, featuring the Egg Tarts, Minoru Fujita and Sayaka. Black Komanichi and Melt Brain Dancing, which is the team of Psycho and Chango. Uh, so that will be going on for the next few weeks in Chaco Pro. And in Pure J news, uh, Akari retained the Princess of Pro Wrestling title over Aruka Umasaki. So that is everything that has happened in the last two weeks of Joshi Wrestling. I had to take a quick break to tweet melt brain dancing, but I'm back now. Uh, okay. And I guess that'll just lead us into what's coming up over the next couple of weeks. We can start with stardom. We can't do like a full preview of the July 4th Yokohama dream Cinderella show, but there's a couple of matches. And uh, we can kind of talk about our thoughts on those. We got Utami Hayashishita versus Natsuko Tora for the, Red Belt, uh, any chance of Natsuko Tora coming out as as a champion? Aaron, as we always say on this show, there's always a chance. Do we say that? Of, I, I think we do say that. And if we don't say it, I'm saying we do say it. Okay. Um, but, you know, things can go, you know, south. I don't know. Utami could, you know, break her leg in the middle of the match and maybe they call an audible and she would, you know. Tora wins the match. I guess that could happen. Um, but I would say the, the chances are probably very slim that Natsuka Tora emerges the world of stardom champion after this match. Uh, yeah, that seems fair to me. Uh, just like a crappy match to have as like one of your top title matches on a big show, in my opinion. Uh, the white belt, Tom Nakano versus Saya Kamitani. Okay, two questions here. One, Saya is having to miss some shows due to injury, so I kind of, you know, I just don't know what shape she's going to be in, whether she'll be able to be on this show. Two, they've been playing this up a lot, you know, that the last, I think, not the last three, I don't think that's true, but several recent uh, Cinderella tournament winners have gone on to 
Actually, maybe it is the last three. Gone on I to win. It is the last three because I think it's 18, 19, and 20 okay. all won. That's right. So, uh, yeah, those last three have all won. So do we think Sayakamitani will turn that into four and beat Tom Nakano for the white belt? Well, Aaron, we have we have talked about this, but it feels to me, and I don't know, maybe um, other people feel differently, but it certainly feels to me like since the big um, hair match a few months ago that Tom Nakano has largely... I don't want to say disappear, disappeared isn't the right word, but has largely been de-emphasized, it seems, in this company. It seems to me, you know, it's not hugely surprising for the loser of a hair match to get some sort of push, but it certainly seems like Julia gained a ton, a ton of momentum coming out of that hair match, and Tom Nakino really didn't uh, receive that much momentum. So it's a bit interesting to me because, you know, I do wonder whether, you know, part of me thinks the fact that they went and tweeted out, hey, the last three winners of the Cinderella tournament have won their title matches seems like a fake out and that she's, you know, that Saya is not going to win. Um, But I guess I can't put it past them just because it feels like Tom has been so sort of not all that important in these last few months to um, a lot of what is going on in this company. Yeah. For me, just put Tom out of her misery. Uh, She's uh, on the back burner. They obviously are very invested in Sai Kamitani. Think very highly of her. Uh, Just go with it is, is my opinion. Just go uh, stop. You know, we don't have to pretend that Tom Nakano is important in this company. I think she should be, of course. But we can stop pretending that and just move on. That's my suggestion. Mina Shirakawa versus Sayaka Unagi in the Future of Stardom Tournament Finals. Two, you know, two women in their 30s, I think. (laughs) In the Future of Stardom Tournament Finals. Yeah, uh, this is sort of interesting. You know, they're in the same unit. Um, obviously in Cosmic Angels. But I think weirdly that, and this is going to sound a bit weird, that I think Mina may win this match because they may see more, in, it seems like to me that they see more in Unagi than they see in Shirakawa. So you would give Shirakawa the future of stardom title because you maybe want Unagi already in a higher position on the card than what this title would give her. I mean, she went to the final four of the Cinderella tournament um, and it just has seen, you know, she won the, uh, the rumble, the all-star rumble at uh, their big show. So just to me, it seems weird to say, Oh, she should lose this match because she's, you know, bigger than, this title, but that's sort of the feeling I have, although I could see this um, going either way, frankly. Uh, But those are all the matches that we have announced, so we don't know what else uh, will be on that show. Yeah, it's possible just because they just talked about this match that the tag title uh, match between Stars and uh, Julia and Shuri will be on this card. And I would think, Aaron, I don't know if you agree, it would, it feels to me a bit like this card, 
you know, I would assume the other matches they have not announced are going to be, you know, sort of fairly traditional, oh, undercard, get some more people on this show type of matches. So it seems to me like this card may need one more little boost, especially considering I don't think just from a uh, booking outcome perspective, I don't think that the main event is in all that doubt and is not that exciting from a perspective of who do we think is going to win. So do you think that this match sort of needs that tag title match to give it a little bit more of a boost? Probably from our perspective, but I'm not sure. I mean, they're putting two, they're two singles titles matches on top. You know, that's, that's a lot of juice normally. Uh, And there is, I think, obviously, as I just said, some, it's up in the air on the white belt title match who might win that uh you could even i was going to say you could consider putting that on last but it might uh you know tip your hand of what you're what you're planning to do so i don't know it doesn't feel like these other shows have had that many big matches on top so i might honestly i might be surprised if they put a, a tag title match on here too well i guess we will uh find out in the next uh week we better because right? the fourth is uh, one week very soon a very quick turnaround it feels although the other show was i guess it's it's been a month um but i guess i think that break that forced uh the forced delays of their last big show i think make it make it feel like you know there was a big gap between big shows but just because you know that show got moved um moved around um but also Stardom will have shows on the 10th and 11th as well. I'm assuming those cards will come out after this show on the 4th, so we don't know anything yet. Also on the 11th, uh, Seedling has a big show. That Asuka Ryo Mizunami Beyond the Sea title match is happening on that show, as we talked about before. A Nanai Takahashi and Arisa Nakajima match, singles match, is happening on that show after they got into they got into it a little bit at the conclusion of the uh, June 17th show, as well as a very exciting match, a match I'm really looking forward to. Um, Nanai Takahashi and Momoi Nakanishi against Emi Sakura and Natsuki Tayo. Um, If you listened uh, a while back to our stardom uh, retrospective episodes that we did very early on, you know that both Aaron and I were big fans of Tayo, so I'm excited to see her back wrestling uh, and not just refereeing for at least this match. Uh, looking forward to it. Aaron, are you looking forward to this uh, show, which is starting to feel pretty big? I was going to say, it sounds great. I'm excited about it. Uh, I mean, you got a big Asuka match, always going to deliver. If you got uh, Nanai and Arisa, uh, that should kick ass. So yeah, everything here is good. And Natsuki yeah, Tayo, baby. Yeah, and frankly, and Momoi Nakanishi, who I have really been impressed with in her returns to uh, her brief returns to stardom. So I really think that these four could. I mean, I think that this could really be the sort of surprising um, match of this card, which is really crazy considering you know of the these three matches all feel very big. So really looking forward to that. Um, Oz has a show on July 11th as well, but nothing's been announced. 
uh, Tokyo Joshi has their next inspiration show coming up on July 1st. That is highlighted by Miyu Yamashita against Mirai Mayumi in a UWF rules match. Uh, this is one I'm really looking forward to. I'm really uh, liking the way that Tokyo uh, Joshi has booked these inspiration shows with these interesting um, you know, type of matches. They did the hardcore match, uh, now UWF rules, doing them sort of outside of the box that Tokyo Joshi is in. I always like when um, really any company, Joshi companies or any wrestling companies, really do these sort of out-of-the-box things. They don't have to happen all the time. But it just gives you variety, and I think one of the strengths of, you know, Joshi wrestling or really wrestling in general is the variety that you can get. So I am really looking forward to this match. Aaron, I know that you mentioned uh, you were also really looking forward to this match as well. Yeah, I'm disappointed it's not taking place in a, um abandoned strip mall in southern Indiana, though, on a Paradigm <laughs> Pro show i think that would add a whole different <laughs> level to it oh boy uh, aaron's gonna get the uh independent uh, wrestling fans after us uh, if they've listened now one hour into a podcast on joshi wrestling yes um also on the ninth as we mentioned that hikari noah against araku international princess title match is going to happen so that should be fun. And then on the 11th, they have a show. No matches are announced, but that is going to be another one of their women-only show, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, Sendai Girls has a show um, tomorrow that will have already happened, highlighted. Mika Iwata against uh, Ryu Mizunami uh, will be happening. And also, you know, it will be interesting to see where Sendai Girls heads as. Uh, Mako Satomura is after their big show in Niigata is heading to um, the UK permanently. So will not be returning to Japan, at least in the near future. So it will be interesting to see what happens with everything with Sendai girls. And then they have a Corican hall show on the 11th. Nothing's been announced, but we will see how it goes with that show. Um, Ice Ribbon has a lot of shows coming up, but they have not announced anything yet. I'm assuming that a lot of those announcements will happen after their Cork and Hall show. Uh, Diana has a Shinkiba show on the 4th. That was going to be the show where Tehanma was going to challenge for the Diana title, which is not happening anymore. Uh, Marvelous has a show on the 28th. Uh, Wave will be coming to the conclusion of Catch the Wave on the 29th of June and the 1st of July. The 1st of July will have the Catch the Wave finals, and then that tournament will be ended. And then Choco Pro, as I mentioned, the Oak Tag League uh, will be happening on all their shows uh, June 28th, and then July 1st, 3rd, 4th, and 6th. So a lot of fun things uh, coming up in the world of Joshi. All right. Well, Taylor, is there anything else we need to cover? Aaron, I think we covered it all. <laughs> all right. Well, make sure you're following us on Twitter at JBomb Audio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mainbo. Subscribe to the show. Give us a five star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. 
And if you want to support the show, the best ways to do so are to go to manscaped.com and use the code JUMP, J-U-M-P, for free shipping and 20% off. Or go to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio and shoot your fine podcast host a little donation. Uh, But that's it for us. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye.